Hello, stranger. My name is Rose Gothop. I am the writer, director, and kind of producer of this podcast, and I want to welcome all of you to The Greenlands Presents. This podcast is going to be a series of dramatic readings of fantasy scripts, screenplays, a la old radio drama style, you know, like they used to do in the 1950s on the BBC. You turn them on and be like, ooh, here's a story. <laughs> we hope to do this weekly, unless something terrible happens, like, you know, Mordor invades. I mean, this is 2020. We've had a pandemic so far, and very weird things happening. The plays that we will be playing on this podcast are going to be high fantasy swords and sorcery screenplays and scripts from me and other authors. We're looking for new authors and scripts all the time, so contact us on the-greenlands.com, by hyphen I mean the little bar, not the word hyphen, or via our social media at The Greenlands, or variations of, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The Greenlands represents a high fantasy world in general, the traditional, you know, Middle-earth, saga, D&D, medieval, dragon-filled fantasy world. For me, and for this script, it is a real place, but the Greenlands also represents all fantasy places. This week's story is The Sisters of the Middle Sun. I am a filmmaker, and the script is the first in a series of four feature films that I am hoping to be filming soon, once this disaster is over. The stories follow a group of sun-worshipping priestesses who have to handle demons and monsters that for once are not an external metaphorical representation of internal struggles. <laughs> yes, I had to get a thesaurus for that. I would like to thank our amazing actors and actresses who brought these characters to life. In no particular order, Sam Parry, Bridget Hemingway, Helen Vary, Linda Dootson, Kate Newell, David McCran, Frances Broody Albridge, and Faye Massey. And of course, not to forget, our narrator, Anne Goldthorpe. Yes, she is related to me, no, don't ask. If you want more information about the Greenlands, or want to submit a script, or want to be a voice actor, or even just drown us in gold, um, tweet at us, Instagram at us, you know, slide into our DMs, or uh, go to our website, thehyphengreenlands.com. So let's grab our axes, bows, pointy ears, teenage angst, unresolved daddy issues, and see you in the Greenlands. Sanctuary outside, it is night time. The Sisters of the Sun are heading off to their rooms, carrying their rushlights. We observe them through the windows and the hallways. They seem to be small and weak. We follow the abbess as she heads to her quarters. It is very creepy. As the abbess walks through the cloisters, in and out of the shadow, we see the incubus following her, casually smiling. The wind is howling and the weather is bad. There are flashes of lightning as he walks behind her. Scene 45. The convent, Abbess's study, night. The abbess is sitting in her robes at her desk. We hear the rain on the window. She's getting ready to write her treatise. Every writing implement is perfectly aligned. She puts a blanket over her knees and arranges her water spotlight on her parchment and begins to write as the weather roars outside. We start to focus on the wall behind her and the incubus fades into view. The abbess doesn't notice him. She absentmindedly reaches out for her sand shaker without looking away from her writing. The incubus slowly smiles evilly and starts walking towards her. The abbess continues to write until the demon's shadow falls over her paper. She screams and knocks over her ink blotter. <coughs> the convent, outdoors, night. It is raining and we see the incubus run out of the door with his arms raised in defence, half turning as he hurries away. The abbess is madly shaking a bell with one hand and raising her other with a hefty tome in it. She throws said tome at the incubus and shouts after him. 
Be banished from this plane, you abomination. Light of the sun, dispel the gloom and rescue your followers. Be gone, foul fiend. The abbess gets another book from her pocket, rings her bell again and throws that one too. You hear a loud howl and the rain pours more heavily and the abbess knocks, turns and closes the door, self-satisfied there. Letice's cell, night time. Letice is at the door, just about to close it on Blodwin. I've told you before, Blodwin, I will not have a hand in your ill-advised schemes. Good night, sister. Letice closes the door. She takes off her apron and then her headscarf and band. Letice then disrobes down to her undershift, which she then removes to reveal a hair shirt and underskirt. Letitia removes the hair shirt to reveal a tiny camisole with spaghetti straps which will reveal a great deal of redness and a few sores on her shoulder and upper chest which she rubs ruefully while saying in a martyred tone These heavily sun for thee. Letitia puts on a plain white gown over her camisole and underskirt. She pours some water into a bowl and washes her hands and face. She then turns to the small window, opens her arms and intones Good night, our son. Our work is done, and you will rise tomorrow. She bows, gets into bed, and blows out her candle. We see another incubus in the shadows near her head as she sleeps. It reaches out to touch Letice's head, and we fade into Letice's head. Scene 48. The convent hallway. It is night. Letice's incubus is standing at a junction of corridors that stretch off in every direction. They are grey, warped and scary. There is heard variously a girl crying and snatches of girls' voices singing different holy chants. The incubus walks along the corridor, warily opening doors. We never see what is behind the doors, but we do hear whippings and agonised cries. Incubus looks disturbed and closes a door. Scene 49. Convent. Cell threshold. Night time. The incubus hears a thrashing sound from outside of a door. He gingerly and anxiously opens the door and sees Letice sideways on, standing and bent over, holding on to the bars of her iron bed. She turns her face to face the incubus and stares impassively like a zombie at him. Letice is being whipped by another princess who is standing with her back to the incubus. Suddenly the whipper becomes aware that there is a man in the cell. She wheels around and we see that it is also Letice. She advances upon the incubus threateningly with her whip. Who art thou that cometh into the cell of a devoted daughter of this convent? She turns around fully. A man! A filthy beast of the dark! No men in our convent, men who defile, must be punished! As Letice the whipper advances on the incubus, he cowers and tries to flee, but the door shuts itself. Scene 50, convent, mm -hmm. corridor and cell, night time. Corridor, the incubus is silently screaming and running along the corridors. Cell, Letice snores in bed. Corridor, the incubus reaches a corridor junction, looks frantically around, chooses a direction and flees down it. Cell, Letice smiles in her sleep. There is a whoosh and the incubus materialises from a black fog in Letice's head. 
he dives out of the door and runs screaming along the corridor away from Letice. Letice wakes up, a little confused. She spots the open door, gets up and closes it, and then returns to sleep. Village. It is outside of a barn. Day. Three peasants are standing looking into the barn. There is grain on the floor and spilled sacks lying around. There are implements lying thrown down as well. The men are cursing and shaking their heads. These demons are getting worse. Yeah, they got to me machinery. Had to go over to Spum for another twerkle throcket. And be horses. They've got bots now. They go and sit down and start taking out their lunches from screwed rags. They continue talking as they eat. The spell ain't got from a travelling merchant didn't work. I've tried everything. We could try them sisters of the sun. Yeah, well, them demons mucked up their soothsaying, so they may not be much help there. Well, I think we should give them a try. Don't think that that there abbess is much good, though. She's always got her nose in a book. It's not a book. She's writing a tweety. Them intellectuals always be twittering on talking about moral matters. They all nod and munch. <laughs> Convent. The abbess's study. It is morning. There are two peasants standing twirling their caps in front of the abbess, who is sitting at her desk. The abbess looks different today, more alert and brisk. She has her sleeves rolled up and is smiling at the men. There are various piles of books concerning demon fighting in front of her on the desk. There are also small bells, coloured chalks and a wand on the desk also. And then the bots came out of its nose and they were blue. They were... Yeah, blue. It were bad enough losing the beer barley, but now these demons are mucking up the bread grain up as well. The abbess stands up smartly. Don't worry, masters. I know what we can do. I can help you with these demons. They look up at her in surprise and semi-disbelief with their mouths open. You, you can? A barn. Daytime. The abbess is exorcising demons in the barn. Three clumps of villagers are standing around the edges watching her, open-mouthed. Euphemia is chasing around with a trap, trying to catch the rat demons which are ratty-shaped grey blurs. Euphemia then draws some occult shapes on the floor and starts to chant while throwing holy sand out of a small bag. She seems to be having fun. The villagers watch her with confusion and reverence as she then stands in the middle of the garden with an open bag and says, Affleck, Farley, Nickpick. Some red-shaped, cloudy shapes then swoop down from the rafters into her half-open bag. The abbess then triumphantly holds up a sigil-decorated bag of struggling demons, declaring her victory. The peasants all applaud, smile and thrust money at her, which she smilingly takes and concludes. Convent, the abbess's study, it is day. All of the five sisters are in the abbess's study. Patience, Letitia and Agatha are standing agog around the wriggling sack on the desk and Blodwin is counting the money out of the small bag into small stacks. The abbess is studying a big tome seated at the desk. Bye, Etty. This'll make us start on clearing our debts, Mother. Well, thank you, Sister Blodwin. I take it that you now believe that there are indeed demons come back again to this land, Mother. Euphemia looks up apologetically. Indeed, Sister Agatha. You were all right, and I was wrong. I believed that these evils were 
extrinsic manifestations of some of our less good aspects. Well, that sheep with wind certainly was not a manifested aspect of me, that's for sure. The question is, why have these demons suddenly reappeared after years of being away? They all look blankly at each other and shrug. Are you going to do some proper ritual of the sun to dematerialise these demons more? Patience points. Mother stands up. Or apply some of the arcane and esoteric exigencies that wreck havoc with the demons of the dark. Yes, yes, my daughters. She suddenly produces a wooden mallet and pounds the sack with an appalling ferocity. It then becomes still and there is a small green puddle leaking from it. The priestesses all look at her, shocked with mouths open. Mother Euphemia smiles brightly at them. The convent, sanctuary, morning. The four priestesses are standing in reverence before the altar area, upon which the abbess is standing. Euphemia seems somewhat more lively and focused than usual. My sisters then, as I said, we must find a new path and forge closer ties with our community. There is a noise and voices. Some villagers arrive and start filing into the sanctuary. They arrange themselves into two little rows and watch the abbess. The priestesses look around, gratifiedly, as does the abbess. She smiles and continues the sermon. We must make ourselves useful and in common with our neighbours. Yes, though we feel that... The sermon continues in the bosky sanctuary and at the end the congregation puts some money in the empty collection box which Letiche is holding and peering happily into. Convent, it is the kitchen, daytime. Agatha is stirring her maceration at the stove and Letiche is applying a plaster to Euphemia's elbow. You must take care in your demon hunting mother or you shall hurt yourself with a fall or some such. A little running does me good. I am beginning to feel quite lively these days. I do hope that the sun does not blame me for benefiting from the woes of these poor people. Well, you get the exercise, we get some income, and the villagers get rid of their demons, so I suppose we all benefit. The door opens and Patience and Blodwin enter with armfuls of food, fruit, dead chicken, large loaf, grapes, salami, etc., which they deposit on the table and start to sort. Sisters, such extravagance! We must pay our debts first before this outlay. Blodwin plonks the provisions down and grabs the chicken. Oh, we were given a little money, but most people are still paying him food. It's just that there's more of it now. Yep, and I'm sick of living on parsnips and pickle-lily. I'm going to make a cock in a van. Is, um, is that like toad in the hole? Yep, except it's got wheels. She picks up and brandishes a large carving knife. Suddenly the door flies open and the young boy with the big nose runs in and cries out, Mother, Mother, them demons have got hold of our Sharon and she's wriggling and screaming, somewhat awful. Euphemia grabs her demon-catching bag from the side table. I come, child, go, go. The abbess takes the child's hand and they run out together. Peasant's house, the living room, it is evening. The abbess arrives at the house of the possessed girl and the boy drags her into the hallway. There are several village women hanging about in the doorways noisily. The child drags Euphemia into the living room, pushing past the woman. Oh, Sharon's in here! 
Sharon's mother and father are standing apprehensively a little distance from the hearthrug, upon which Sharon, a buxom girl in her late teens, surrounded by several gawping women, is lying down, thrashing and rolling around, making inarticulate, occasionally loud noises. There are several broken pots and an emptied vase of flowers on the floor nearby. Sharon's mother comes forward and takes Euphemia's hands. My lady, thanks for coming to sort out our Sharon. You are welcome. Um, when did the demon take possession? Mother screws up her eyes in concentration. Oh, it were tea time, I think. No, no, it were just after tea, cos I told our Jemmy to refill the pot like. You did such a reek god job of those corn demons, Mother, that we thought you could maybe help with our Sharon. Euphemia looks worriedly at Sharon. Yes, well, um... Could you and some of the men perhaps carry her up to the bedroom, please? I will that, Mother. He signals to a couple of other male villagers and they move towards the thrashing girl. Peasant's house, Sharon's bedroom, evening. Sharon is rolling about on her bed and the abbess is facing her. Sharon's mother and a couple of other women are crushed up together, peering agog from the doorway. The abbess tries tinkling a little bell and muttering. The girl stops moving and lies with her eyes closed. The abbess moves towards her, and then suddenly the demon girl sits up, opens her eyes and speaks with a loud, derisive voice. Ha! Get thee gone, worthless cow of the sun! The girl lies down and continues with her eyes closed, rolling round again. The abbess, having retreated, now tries holding out a horseshoe while intoning a repeated chant. The abbess again steps gingerly up to the girl. Get thee gone, demon of trouble! The girl suddenly sits up, snatches the shoe and throws it near to the women in the doorway where it bounces off the wall. Shove thy iron where thy sun doesn't shine, stinking washerwoman! Sharon lies down again and the abbess now tries scattering pinches of holy sand from a small box at Sharon and the room around while humming. As she approaches Sharon in the bed, Sharon suddenly sits up, knocks the box onto the floor and shouts. Oh, for Etty's sake, just piss off and let me get on with the possessing woman or I'll rip your nose off. Sharon lies down again and continues writhing. Ah! Yeah, Bess is tired. She sighs and wipes her forehead, which is damp, and she swallows. She looks around for the mother of Sharon. Has Sharon ever had strong liquor, good woman? I should hope not. Their best gets out a small bottle and pours something into a glass on a side table. Then perhaps a little of Sister Blodwin's pear drink may help a little. It's only fruit, isn't it? The abbess drips a few drops into the girl's mouth as she lies on her back with it open, making argle-gargle noises. Yes, the pears have been a little aged in in the wood, so as to speak. Sharon suddenly sits up, starts coughing, and spits the drink out. <laughs> what the Oh, she's poisoned, poisoned me, the old, old cow. cow. Oh, what the hell was that? Well, well <laughs> I'm not staying here to be poisoned. No way. This wasn't in the contract. Sharon suddenly stiffens, rolls up her eyes and falls stilly back onto the bed. The women edge forward a little. The girl suddenly sits up and looks around. Where's our mum? Mother runs forward with her arms open and hugs her. Lovey, darling, she's back. My daughter's back. All the women hug each other and Euphemia as well. The abbess is embarrassed but pleased and relieved. She wipes her forehead again. 
The abbess then pours a little of the drink for herself. She offers it to the women first, but they step warily away. So she toasts herself and drinks it happily. She realises suddenly that she can be useful to people after all. Scene 59. The convent sanctuary. Afternoon. Quite a congregation are coming out of the sanctuary, talking animatedly. Blodwin and Aggie have set a stall up and are selling bottles of Aggie's tincture to them. Patience has a line of young men all queuing up, wanting to be blessed. Patience makes the sun blessing sign to each and then dismisses them. Letiche also has a line of mothers wanting children to be blessed. She is a bit harassed. Mother comes out of the sanctuary, led by a child pulling her hand. Euphemia smiles at the villagers, who smile back, and she holds up her demon-collecting bag triumphantly. They all clap appreciatively. The convent in the abbess's study. It is evening. The abbess is writing her treatise at her desk, and Letice and Blodwin are sitting up to the side of it. The study looks a bit brighter these days, with hanging picture, some flowers and frilly curtains. Letice is counting the money and Blodwin is painstakingly adding up figures in a ledger, with her tongue sticking out. Eee, we're beginning to do all right, you know. This demon-smitey money is adding up. Yes, but Mother shouldn't go risking herself with these horrid beasts. It is good that I can finally feel useful, my child. The sun shines on those who assist. Well, I hope these demons carry on and assist us to pay off the sisters of the moon. You never know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sisters in the Middle Sun from the Greenlands Presents. I hope you enjoyed it. If you drop us a like, a subscribe or review on iTunes or, you know, whatever you're listening to us on, I don't know what you use, or recommend us to a friend who needs a laugh, please do. We're just starting out and every little thing helps. If you want to get involved in the creative side of things as a scriptwriter, actor, etc., please contact us. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to donate huge amounts of gold, just, you know, just slide into my DMs and I'll be open to hear from you. <laughs> I'd like to thank our editor, John Curtiland, and our musician, David Berlin, for making the ambiance and, you know, editing this whole disaster. We will have another episode out next week, so see you then. Thank you. Look after yourself. I love you. Yes, you. Only you. Ignore the other one's baby. They didn't mean anything to me. You're the only one. Oh, wait, sorry, I was reading my text messages. <laughs> Bye.